Hey, this is the moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. Dan Soder. Yeah, dude. Back. Dan Soder is on the podcast. Dan Soder is one of the most successful and best stand-up comedians on earth. He also played Dudley Maffee for yeah. seven seasons on Billions. He uh, has just retired from hosting... The Bonfire. The Bonfire. Sirius XM. They have a rabid, insane, uh, loyal following. And um, this is Dan's third or fourth time on the podcast. I counted fourth. Fourth time on the podcast. We have been friends since like 2007? That's it. January of 2007 is when I moved here. And that's a long time by anyone sort of like... Asked, I mean, it's a long part of your life. It's 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 less yeah. of a part of my life, but you're a very significant person in in my life, and uh, uh, vice ver- and vice versa. I think it was you were one of the. I think I've said this before, but you were like truly you and there's like maybe two or three other guys were the very few positive male role models I had to be like, oh, you this guy is a good guy, does good work. You can do all that. You don't have to be. A piece well, of shit. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's true that I brought you around my family and stuff. Like, like you saw my real life. You Pretty were early dude. on, you saw my real life. Like, you'd hang out with my son would, and me or my daughter and me and Amy, my wife. Like, you saw the, our whole world. One of the coolest things was you had two extra tickets to the White Stripes at Madison Square Garden, and I went with you and Sammy. Sammy that was, was 11. Awesome. That was awesome. I remember asking him if he rides the train, and he goes, ah, oh, sometimes. He was, and he's still, he's, it, what's great is when you see, some, like, when I, when I see Sam go from being like who he was at 11 to holding on to a lot of that personality, not in a way of like he stunted and he thinks like an 11 year old, but like, oh yeah, his soul, you know, you just like see it and you're like, every time I see him now, I'm like, hey, he's still, he's still Sam, you know, it's great. No, it's amazing. The whole thing's amazing. And obviously you're a very important figure in Anna's life as a Anna uh, rules. Comedian. Anna rules. I remember just bumping into Anna one time on the way to therapy on the Upper West Side. And I was like, hi, Anna. And she was like, ah, I was just like standing in a doorway. I think I was like looking over my notes of what I was going to bring up with my therapist. Yeah, you as a, a comedian is a, a, a big deal to her. But dude, I have a lot of stuff. Like I was thinking about this. I mean, you're Sam's older now than you were yeah. when I met you. How old Sam right now? 27. Yeah. I met you when I was 23. I know. Yeah. So... Uh, that's crazy. Oh my God. That's crazy. Anna's the exact age you were. Though. That's insane that Anna's 23. And, and so like, I've always been, and you know, in billions, it's more like because of the various roles, but you and I have a very different relationship than any of the other, you know, they're people I'm friends with, but because I was sort of like a big brother, I yeah. still am like a big brother yeah. to you. And that's always been our relationship. Yeah. I'd always come by your office and just talk to you. I mean, and it wasn't in a way of like, um, this is way before billions. He's this saying. is way before like billions. Way, when I was just Dave and I had this little office up above a car yeah, fifth block. Avenue. And I would go, you guys were in the attic basically. Yeah. And you had all those wrestling posters on the, on the spiral staircase. Well, something's never changed. Yeah. I loved it. There's yeah. There they are. Right there. There it is. But I remember going and just being able to talk to you about what was important for me was I could check in with you about being human in the business. Like being like, oh, I feel, which is, I think, one of the most important things. More important than you writing me a role. More important than any of that stuff. Of is course. Like having someone that has gone through it and gone through seasons in the industry and to be like, hey, I feel like this. And you can go like, well, it gets a little cold in the fall, you know? That's awesome. And then it's very cold in the winter. Well, you know? I've oh. had this amazing thing, man, of watching your, not just your, the work paying off, which we've talked about before, but one of my favorite things to do sometimes is listening to a good friend on someone's podcast sometimes to kind of check in with yeah. a certain aspect of where they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I listened to the entire, I was bicycling, and I, I listened coming here and then back um, the other day to the whole combo you and Bobby Kelly had on Bobby's podcast. Oh, yeah, podcast. another one of my big brothers. And it was an incredible conversation, but yeah. I, I had this huge smile on my face because you've really, it seems to me, like decided to become a certain kind of man and then like set about becoming it and like, You've made a series of decisions to really like consciously decide who you want to be instead of just kind of letting things 
like letting yourself kind of roll into wherever you'd end up. Yeah, I think that is, um, I think that's something that I've, probably the greatest lesson I got from the pandemic was like, oh, this is all, everything's different now. So now it's your choice of where you're going to go and what you're going to do. And I think a lot of it had to do with being okay with things ending. I think being okay with, as someone that grew up without a lot of control of who was coming into our house, you know, my mom wasn't terrible about it. My mom's awesome. She's incredible. She's smart and she's sweet. And she's, she's the greatest mom in the world, but she was a single woman with a, a very loud, obnoxious kid and she wanted to date. And so I don't fault her for that. But from my perspective, what that does is it makes my home a little less mine and more lobby waiting room than it is safe, comfortable yeah. area to, to feel. And I always felt like, in a sense, I was performing for other people. I always felt in a sense that I was, I was trying to be someone for somebody else and not be who I wanted to be. Yeah, and it seems to me like, yeah, even even with, you know, Jay or Bobby or me or whoever, you know, and, and various figures you would you would talk about, what I love about where you are is all those people are there for you and are there to kick ideas around and talk about your life at any time. But you, I think you used to, in a way, offload some of the responsibility for your growth to other people. Yeah, I would as I, markers, I, like, oh, I want to be like that, or I like, and that's very healthy. We all do do that. But it can it can become not only toxic, but it can also become it, it can stop your growth by by using mile markers that aren't your yes, own. Yes, that's what I'm saying. And yeah. it feels to me like you've in deciding to leave the bonfire. Very hard, man. That caused me. Of course. So many sleepless nights, so many sleepless nights, so much anxiety about telling Jay, about telling the crew, about telling the fans. Leaving the tribe. Leaving the tribe. And I'm going... Even though you haven't left the tribe, but leaving the tribe. But it's walking away from something that was so consistent and so much energy and to um, consciously just be like, I think I'm done was a thing where it was like truly listening to my gut where I just felt like we did it. We did. And this is the thing that I told Jay. And this is the thing that I said on the air when I, when I told the fans I was leaving was like, why not walk away right now? Jay wants to keep going. There's an opportunity for him and Bobby Kelly, Bobby, like I said, one of my other older brothers and you listen to that podcast. It was like perfect for him to step in. It's going to be a different show, but it's still going to be Jay hosting a radio show with the crew that we all know and love. And now Bobby Kelly steps in. No one ever said it was going to be the same as Bobby. But because you're somebody who's had to recreate family for yourself. Because of your sister's yeah. death, because of your... My dad's Your dad's death. death, because of all the sort of relationships, this idea of um, a created family and then having that. Yeah. And then having to go, yeah, that... Those are still my family members, but I have to go. Yeah. That felt like to me a very big moment. It was insane. And it's been really, the thing that's been making me laugh that, that Katie even said, she goes, I'm so glad you're laughing at it and not like taking it personal is a lot of the fans that are mad that I'm gone are comparing me to my father where they're like, oh, you're it's fucking hilarious. It's very funny. They're like, Oh, you abandoned us. You garyed us. Cause we call anybody a dad, dad, a Gary. And they're like, Oh, you garyed us. And I was like, man. And, and at first I was like, man, fuck you. But then I was like, man, imagine how much you like a show. Yes. If you're comparing one of the co-hosts to leaving to that guy's father, abandoning the family and then dying of alcoholism. I honestly read it as a compliment now where I'm like, ah, thanks man. I know how much I was hurt when my, when my dad left me. So if you're feeling that kind of pain, like that, like thanks man. Well, it depends like what age everybody is. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I don't really think the comparison holds. No, it doesn't. You shouldn't feel like you've betrayed oh, I don't these think people. In any, I don't think in any way it's You're not similar. drinking yourself to death. <laughs> yeah. Quit drinking and you didn't 
promise uh, by uh, creating a child that you'd be there forever. I also, although I relate, here's how I relate to it. I will say, in the beginning, when Howard went from five days to four, back when I was every day, yeah. it was like, well, what am I going to do on Fridays? And yeah, I mean, it was like, and then what am I going to do when you go to Sirius? When right. he went to Sirius, it was like everyone was like. Where the fuck are we? And then when he do? went to three days, yeah, you know, every one of those things at a time. Was radio, like, radio has a consistency yes. in it that draws people in. What you don't realize about radio, especially when you're doing radio, and this is what I learned about through going through it, was you don't realize like you're in that person's life in a way that you can't even. It's understand. parasocial, man. Yes, it is. It's very parasocial, and it's very. I have been brought to tears by stories of people listening to our yes. show about how much we've helped people move to new places, uh, get over problems at work because they turn on the bonfire and it's just a room full of people hanging out. And that was to me like, you know, one of my best friends that I grew up with who uh, Jay refers to as fart box, but his name is Fujak. I went to on a vacation in 2018 to Amsterdam. Sweden to see Queens of the Stone Age, and then I saw Pearl Jam in Amsterdam, and then I went to Iceland. It was like one of the best vacations I've ever had. And I went with my best friend. I mean, could you be more of a bro, though? Yeah. I, I mean, mean, that is just... I mean... That yeah. is awesome. Yeah. I went and saw Queens in Amsterdam. And then Pearl Jam. And fucking Eddie. Uh, yeah. You saw know, Eddie on Eddie fucking and truffles. And I was, Jeff. I was on so many truffles, I had to stand against the back wall. Uh, uh, but uh, what was great is our producer, Lou Witzke, who's like... I love like, Pearl Jam. Yeah. yeah. Lewitsky is a legitimate radio genius. He's like, he runs the board, he does the drops, he puts the sound effects in. It's like Howard would have fucking came in his pants to have Lewitsky. Right. That's how good he is. So he was out. The reason I went to Amsterdam was because I was just going to go to Sweden and he's like, well, I'll be in Amsterdam seeing Pearl Jam. He's a massive Pearl Jam fan. So we go to Pearl Jam, we're hanging out at this cafe and we're smoking weed and my, my buddy's drinking beers and DJ Lou's drinking beers and Lou's explaining the radio show to my friend because my friend doesn't listen. This is Fartbox. This is Fartbox. <laughs> it's Fartbox. <laughs> Fartbox is sitting there and, and Fartbox is like, yeah, I don't listen to him. I grew up with this guy. I don't need to hear him do radio every day. You know what I mean? And so Lou's explaining the show and explaining like, ah, oh, we got this guy, this guy. And then my friend who I've known since I was fucking 12, just kind of stops and looks at me and he's like, man, you took the garage from high school and turned it into a job. Awesome. And I never thought about it like that. I was like, holy shit, that's exactly what it was. And then I remember how bummed I was when I went to college to leave the garage. I remember how bummed I was to be like, Everyone comes over. Everyone comes over at one o'clock. We get high. We sit around. We make fun of people at school. We make fun of each other. Yeah. Also, what's amazing, though, and I'm sure part of it is Jay was this figure to you. Jay was the best. Another older brother. He was also the best at the job. Funniest of, human being I've ever met. In my he life. was the best. You know, he was the most gifted comedian in New York for this period of time. Yeah. And, and you know, and was um, not getting his due. No. And then you together, you guys, it's not like you did that for him, but together, yeah. he became what all of us wanted him to become. Yes. Which was famous and successful comedian who people recognize for that incredible brain of his that nobody else has. Yeah, off the cuff, the funniest. But you you guys did that together. Sure. Like you platform, you know, you helped platform that. You yeah. set him up. And it was like, so this is what I was thinking about this morning. I was like, these two things were super important to you, like doing this thing you wanted to do, but also I have to say like security and money. Yeah. Were because you were, like you were deprived of certain things, right? You were deprived of your own space. You can create that on, on stage. You know, the ability to really be the one, like the main character. Yeah. You now get to be the main character in your story by becoming a comedian. Yeah. But the other thing, and even your mother had a good job and all that stuff, but sure. you always had money and security. Always. I, my mom's, Money and security is something I remember as far back as I have memories as, as being like, you know, we lived in the burbs. We were middle class. My mom did great working at Aetna and USF and G and these other insurance companies. My mom was like, you know, she was an office. That's that was like what I saw as important. What was weird is my mom gave me two messages simultaneously at once. I saw her work hard. So when you watch someone work hard, yeah, you just are like, oh, that's what work is. And I know she hated it. I know she hated going to work. That was something where she always drove home to me, where she was like, if you can get away with doing something you like, that's 
That's what she said. She said a rich, it's the old saying, a rich man doesn't have a lot of money. Right. A rich man goes to work every day and enjoys what he does. Yes. That's where he's rich. But you wanted both. And I, I mean, wanted you, both. you wanted to send money to your grandmother too. Like I, you want well, that to. Was my, that was my dad's side. So my dad's side was so sad and so dark and so filled with death and drug addiction and, and scary people. And people that like, I'm, you know, I just got close with my cousin in the past two years, my dad's sister's daughter. And she's my sister's age, 12 years older than me and lives in Ohio when we've been catching up. And it's, she says the same thing I say, where it's like, it's nice to talk to somebody that has been through that hellish family uh, and yeah. isn't fucked up, isn't like fucking violent or a liar or a thief or something. I mean, I'm glad you defined fucked up that way because just blanket saying you're not fucked up oh, doesn't really no, feel no, no. that just I would have yeah. to throw a flag you, on the You have not gone, play there. Yeah. You haven't gone be below clear. the surface if yeah. you have. But it was, my mom worked her ass off to keep me in a situation where I was in a good public school, where I was around good people, where she showed me what hard work was. And not like she was perfect, but I, as an adult, realized all those things she did. Whereas my dad's family was like, I want to make money so I fucking never end up. I don't here. want to be that. I am never going to live in a single wide. I'm never going to have that. Like people will tell you and, and people that have been, so it would around, have to be a double wide, double wide or bust buddy, <laughs> double wide or bust, but people or a camper, a by the way, camper. really good special name. What double, double wide or bust. Oh, that's where I'm going, dude. That double is a wide good or bust. special name, but people will tell you if, if white trash, and I think just this is just with poverty. There's a volatility yeah. that is oh my uh, gosh, yeah. That stops you from ever being comfortable because you're like <laughs> like uh I think a snap is this where it all's fucking you know because everyone's pushed. Oh, you got to hold on so tight the anxiety. I mean that's that's what it is. You're gonna, that you, feeling inside that anxiety. And yeah. well, if this is what I'm I'm getting to. I was thinking this morning like because you didn't just walk away from those things you said. You also walked away from this guarantee of creature comfort you guarantee yeah. of of real money a contract and more money you know a signed a number signed, of years yes. good really you know um uh top, you know one percent kind of things yeah i mean i mean money that 10 years ago i would have i would have bare knuckle fought somebody for right and and so and you know you've also been willing to not just go on the circuit of like, find me a television show. I'm taking a TV show where you could make money. So what I guess what I want to ask you is like, how has your relationship to money changed? Oh man, I um, I still am afraid about it. I yeah. still, what's weird is I always find that life is like the funniest comedian. Like <laughs> life and God, I believe in God. I'm agnostic, but I believe in God. I've just seen too many things that I think there's a higher power. And I keep thinking like the existence of God is always shown to me when something very funny where I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? And it's like, oh, there's God being like, you thought you were the shit. Go there was just an example where I was like, I was like, oh, that is the funniest thing where I thought something was going to happen. And I'll, I'll, maybe I'll think of it. But the reason I'm bringing this up is I've always had money insecurity. And so when I started making a little bit of money, yeah. what stopped me from being overly secure was watching a lot of my friends around me make 50 times the money I'm making. So they, so I, it like all of a sudden became the same thing where I was like, but I thought I was doing well. And then I look around and I go like, oh no, no, no. Like guys that were my openers, Tim Dillon, like right. a, Nate, a couple. Nate Bargatze. Nate, I opened for Nate, but Nate's, right. but, it, but that's the same, yeah, it's the same point. He's doing arenas now. He's doing like, he's he hilarious, owns, by the way. I mean, I, I know you think, so you've, you told me about him first. Yeah. I mean, that guy's the best story joke. I mean, he's just. Yeah, he's unbelievable. An incredible. Best working comedian right now. Pound for pound, best working comedian, comedian is Nate Bargatze. And I'm watching, so that's a different kind of money insecurity because now when my friends are like buying homes and I'm like, oh, I rented a nice place finally. And they're like, right. But you have to know your, but I guess what I was asking is like, I still fear it to answer your question. And so, okay. But so if you do still fear it, if yeah. you do still count it, save it. Yeah. Cause you used Worry. to know kind of the dollar, what you had. I'm still pretty close. Right. 
I was actually on the drive over here being like, I think I know exactly how much I, I Is that I am, true? Yeah. I always am, because I take care of my grandmother and I take care of my mom. Right. And my grandmother's really bad right now. I'm She's sorry. 95 and she lives in that town that I fucking hate. And there's, uh, it's the second poorest county in California. So there's not a lot of services. So I have to pay for this like at home care. Right. I wanted to put her in a home. Can't afford that because without certain insurances, Right, those things are out. The, it's it's crazy. fucking. You you can get a four bedroom in Tribeca right. before you can get yeah, a, yeah. a fucking studio at a, a nursing. Yeah, to home. lock into that, it's, it's crazy money. Yes. So, I always am thinking about that. I'm always like, shit. All right, ah, fuck. All right, how much do I have? But yet, it doesn't seem to me like you're a guy who used to work as many shifts as a job as you could to then yeah. go do the thing. It doesn't seem to me like you're chasing the money. There are things you could do to chase the money. Yeah. I could monetize myself a lot more. Yes. You could have done 10 episodes of Billions a year. Yeah. 12 episodes of Billions a year. Yeah. I called you before this season, Dave and I did, and said, you got to do four. Yeah. But how many do you want to do? And you were like, yeah, four or five is good. And I was like... And you know, you make good money to do the show. Yeah, absolutely. For a day's work. It's a couple days. I mean, at most yeah. a couple days. Yeah. And real, it's like, you yeah. know, with very, very good money. Yeah, yeah. I, I was I very, mean, more money than you could make sometimes in a year waitering. More than I made. I would make in one episode more than I'd made by $7,000 more than a year of waiting tables. Exactly. And yet. Because I still remember that number down to the fucking cent. Right. And yet, you are like, no, I need to work on. So. So I wonder if it's just the, the, the idea of trying to be the very best comedian you can be. No, also, obviously, the long run thing is that's the path to the most money. But that's not I that is not why you do it. So I wonder how do you sort of like balance and weigh those things for yourself? I, I, I think that's a that's a, a multiple there's multiple answers to that question. We got time. We got time. And the first one is, is that. I like being a fan, right? Me I like too. being a fan yeah. of stuff. I like, uh, first thing I said to you when I walked in the office, New Queens of the Stone Age, two new songs, unbelievable. Yes. I have people that I know are like, okay, well, we can get you to meet Josh Homme. Don't, don't. If I meet him naturally, beautiful. And I'll keep it fandom. I don't want to force Oh, I understand that totally. To meet yeah. somebody that I'm such a massive fan of because it's gone wrong before in my life with Seinfeld, with rock, with people that I idolized. And it's gone beautifully with people like Colin Quinn and Jon Stewart and and people that I'm like, oh my God, I'm so happy. I well, meeting them, at the, meeting them when they actually are interested also is yeah. different, right? Having it naturally come into your life versus like, Seinfeld and Rock, I wanted to meet them, where Stuart and, you know, Colin's just around. Colin just works the cellar in the VU, so you're just around him. But Colin the, Quinn for people, not Colin Yost. Colin Quinn, the greatest stand-up comedian, one of the greatest stand-up comedians of all time. In, I agree with that. In my top 10, the new hour he just recorded, we are lucky to be around while he recorded. Colin's this. been on the podcast twice, and uh, he... Uh, I, I was such a fan of his when I was a kid, when yeah. I was in college, and just after. He's just... He's evolved. He keeps evolving. He, what an incredible figure. Neil Brennan, years ago, almost 10 years ago, said to me, he goes, if you want anybody's career, you don't want Rock, you don't want Chappelle, you want Colin Quinn. He goes, four decades relevancy in, in stand-up and keeps getting better as time goes by, and you're like... Oh, well, he is a great, yeah, he's a great, great this new, figure. This new hour, small well, talk. Yeah, I couldn't go. I was, he invited him. I couldn't, oh I couldn't go. I but keep I, thinking I, about it. It's yeah. so good. Okay. I can't wait to see it. But so, so, so staying a, a fan of stuff is important to me. And nothing makes me lose fandom more than watching people make money moves in specific ways of. That where you feel it's a it's move gross. just to cash in. Yeah, it's gross. Like I don't. So if I don't like that. Why would I do that to people that have given their attention, given up their attention to me, have yes. given up? And I always think like, I'm doing it for me, but I'm also doing it for like 
the fan that I want, this like ideal fan that would understand. Yeah, say more about that. That's really awesome. I, I know what you mean, but like, say more about I that. I want someone to like me the way I like the people I like yeah. because I think I'm a good fan. I think I'm a loyal fan. I think I get excited. I think I allow time for stuff to be made. Yeah. And I think um, that's the fan I want. We have this in common, right? You and I, I could talk to you... For- and this will sound like an exaggeration, but I mean, people who listen know know me, I guess. Uh, I mean, you and I could talk about comedians or movies or bands. I mean, for just four hours could yeah. go by. Honestly, it's what we, we used would, to do. It's what I used to. I used to come by your house. Yeah, I used to, your house. I used to come by. Well, you, no, you your came house, by the house too. Yeah, I used to I come mean, by and have coffee, it. but I would come by the office and we would talk about Metallica for fucking yeah, ninety I'm minutes. Saying, it's all of it. It's about because everything. we we see it's fun I, to obsess about that. Shit. I like shit. I like stuff. The Paul Heyman interview that you did with him yes. on this very podcast. He was on sitting very right couch, there. Yeah, I listened to it in chunks because I was enjoying it so much that it was like a bite of a dessert where you're like, when I'm on the road, it's very lonely. So I understand the bonfire fans that would put something on and it fills that 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 empty space. I do that with podcasts of friends of mine that I'm very excited for. You with Paul Heyman was one of them. Shane and Matt with Danny McBride on theirs. It's like these episodes where I'm like, oh, I got these little treats. Oh yeah, me too. I'm super into Rick Rubin's podcast right now. I, his I new love, one. Oh my God. His uh, brand new. And I like, I, I am so, I that that fucking Jimmy Iovine interview. I'm going to listen to it this weekend because I just get excited. It is, that and the Inaratu are yeah. uh, both fucking incredible. And like Amy and I listened together to the Inaratu and we were just like, okay, we're, neither of us are going to listen. We're going to get in the car. We're going to drive. How great is that? And because you could tell they're both there for the right reasons. They both really give a shit about all this stuff. And it like makes you, fills you with joy because they're not neither of those guys has to do it yeah they're doing it because they fucking want to do it and that's and that's how i feel about a lot of the shit i think we're in this age right now where there's never been a time where a fan and a creator the 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 distance between them is so short because of social media and all this stuff and i think a lot of performers artists creators whatever you want to call them and I'm guilty of this too, can sometimes listen to the voices that are very loud, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're right. And that oftentimes, when someone's chasing money, they listen to those voices louder That's because, so important. because they think the loudest voices, oh, well, they're spending the, the dollars. Yeah, but that ties into, it's not just the money. The, it's, it's a lot of different things. It's like um, the drug of being loved by your audience is a powerful drug. And I will say, I, I can't agree with that more. And something that's always helped me was the doubt I had of my father's love. Right. So that stopped me from ever giving into that. Because my dad was this guy that would come around. He'd be very funny, very charming. Yeah. Would, would, would love on me. Oh, pal. He called me pal all the time. Oh, pal, I love you so much. You're the best I'm kid sure in the world. I'm sure he did, by the way. Sure. To the extent of his... Not not enough to get sober. Sure, not enough to fucking come to a football game. Yeah, not enough not to enough send a hundred bucks your way. Not enough to call me. Right. Not enough to check in and see I'm okay. And I think yeah. that is what has stopped me from ever being like, praise me. I'm you know I'm like, eh, you don't mean that. Like when someone's like, I love your shit. I'm like, you might like it. But you don't like love, right? It. Well, that's yes, and, and I wonder also. I'm sure that was a pathology before Katie with women too, where oh yeah, you Katie, had to hold something back. Well, I mean, what Katie's brought into my life is just like uh, I've never loved someone like this. I've never been so like uh, full and complete in like a reason to go home, a reason to like like. Uh, the first person I think of when something happens of like, oh, I'm going to tell them. Like what you said with Amy, which I always loved going to your house and watching you and Amy interact. And I was always like, oh my God, this is great. And when I found Katie, I was like, oh, this is this is yeah. someone that I respect, that I love, that I admire, that I'm scared of sometimes. But you were but able- sometimes I can protect. But that made you able to like- accept her love back somehow that was in a way where you thing. couldn't before. So that was that was the hardest thing. And that was something where she's so intelligent she saw that and she was like, you're, you're being defensive. And I'm like, because I always, I didn't realize how defensive I always was being like, what the fuck does that mean? Right. Which Jay used to make fun of me 
anytime someone would tweet at me like, oh, you're my favorite comedian, I'd be like, oh, you're my favorite comedian. Shut the fuck up, fucking liar. And Katie would be like, take it in. Like, right. Take it in. You know? Like, yeah, man, accept it. Accept it. And so that's just part of my personality. So as a fan, I always, I don't want to upset. I want to make the best stuff for this ideal fan. Yeah. And I think like with billions, the opportunity I got was to truly learn how to act. Absolutely. Like to truly learn how to be on set. I still remember the most I've ever been embarrassed acting was season one finale. There was a cut scene where I go into Axe's office and I give him like a, you know, like I got these numbers. I'm going to get this. So that's what my bonus is going to be. I'm supposed to like hot dog him and then he's, he fucking swats right. me. But I couldn't get the numbers right. And I didn't have my lines down. And I remember like I fucked up like three times in a row. And Damien, troop the fucking best. He is the best. They're the best. the best. Paul and Damien and Maggie, like the people tied Costi. It's unbelievable. Every single one of them. Condola, Jeff, I can't leave and anyone. I'm not leaving cast. anybody out. The whole, every one of but them. But it was it was. Costable and, and Damien, oh, two of my favorite But people. Costable will not take, con- I mean. So what happened was by on the third one, Damien just did like a, uh, rolled his eyes back and Cost sat back in his chair and Costable went, okay, like that. And I just remember being like, I will never oh, that's awesome. show up to set without knowing my lines forwards, backwards, and sideways. It was just a lesson. It was just like, take the L. Today was an L. That scene got cut, not surprisingly. But it it was such an L that I was like, okay, this is this got me. Because then for the next fucking six seasons, I I showed and up. You're beloved. Everybody loves you on the show. For real, you could feel it. You know, you're I incredibly that, welcomed and that, loved into the environment. And and look, Levine and I were always gonna, you know, write the thing for you. But it never would have become what it became if you didn't take it. See, meaning Mafi would have been a very marginal thing if yeah. you didn't take it seriously and dive in and, and, and it was great. become good at it. And it, it was great. And I got to see what the acting world was like. And it's not for me. It's not a thing that I uh, would like to pursue. I like acting, but I like acting in a way of my buddies making something. Could you do this? Not like I need to be in something and i it that's a weird conversation i have with agents and stuff because they don't want to hear that they want to hear like you're on this super cool successful show put me in something else but i'm like unless it's like something really well yeah i mean in fact you it's really interesting and i think that's about knowing yourself yeah and knowing what matters to you yeah stand up stand up matters to me right which i want to ask you one second because even I'd say a couple years ago, there was an opportunity for you to be on every episode as a regular, yeah. which would have meant getting paid way more money. Yeah, they, you, yeah, like I got really offered, way more money. I got offered series regular. I believe it was season four, and, and they and, and we talked like, about it. Yeah, and that's like a real, that's a big fucking, that's a big promotion. That's yeah, a, it's, and 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 I guess you were able to like look inside what would make you feel alive. Well, also it was a conversation where it became very obvious that if I was going to be a series regular standup would, would be this would be in second position. It would be, I would, the road wouldn't be the road. I couldn't go on the road. That's right. I would not be able to go on the road. Understandably, because you have this massive production. If you're a series regular, it's you're in the bullpen. We need you to pitch. You're on, you know, yeah, for you don't five have, you months don't pitchers out in the Blue of the year, Jays. you can't do yeah, it. You don't have Blue Jays pitchers being like, sorry, dude, I got to, we're going to pick up and talk about standup in, one second. Yeah. I, I got to run and use the restroom. In a second, we'll talk about stand-up. What is the reason... I was just thinking about this when I just walked to uh, Micturate. Yeah. As they would said in Lebowski. Yeah. For being, but what is it about acting... That you don't dig about um, because you became good at it. You're somebody who could have, I, I, mean, I know you want to write your own show, but what is it about acting? Is it the standing around? Is it no, the actual I, doing it? What is it about acting that's not like great to you? On set, everything about making it rules. Okay. 
showing up. I agree. For getting me, their coffee, yeah. sitting around, but then like rehearsing the scene, getting into costume, doing the scene, fucking rules. I love all that shit. It's getting the opportunity to do it. Is like you mean hustling to act, it, auditioning, exactly. meetings. I don't care. I'd rather go spend that energy on stand up because the reward creatively of acting, although it's a blast, isn't as deep for you as the reward of stand up. Well, what it is is it's you know we were talking about kind of the sense of control about how yes. like I didn't really feel a sense of control at home. You know that's kind of what stand up led to. I felt that a lot in the bonfire. Of course. Because it was, we got it was very, yours. very little notes on creating that. Stand-up is, is very much that. But I felt that with acting, it's like, okay, do this audition. And then it would always do this thing where they go, they like you, audition again. The callback, yeah. And then, and then they're like, oh, they really like you. They're going to go with someone else. And you're like, oh, well, I don't care about this this much. Like, I think you have me, I think you have me confused <laughs> with someone that, cares i don't this is cool i would do this if the opportunity was given like take for instance the billions audition i remember it because you were like hey we're, we're doing this pilot we don't know what it's going to be um here are two roles on both sides of one side of the law and the opposite side come in knowing all four i spent two weeks learning those forward and back. It paid off for you though. And it did. And I went in and I had a fun audition and then I came back and Neil Berger was there and I auditioned for you guys and Neil. And then I came back another time and finally you guys called me and you were like, Hey, listen, uh, the, one of the roles we like that we liked you for, we got the guy who we wanted, who fucking ruled. And so we want to put you in the show. Do you want to be a basketball coach? Because it was supposed to be like baseball coach that you guys turned into basketball yeah. coach in the pilot. And it would have been just only for the pilot. And you said that. You go, do you want to do the basketball coach? One off. Or you could wait and see if we go to series. And if we do, we'll find something for you in the hedge fund world. And I was like, you guys are going to series. I, like, I think I read off the cast to you. I was like, and you guys are writing it? You're going to fucking series. Then you guys went to series. And then I didn't hear anything. And then finally they were like, you guys call... Uh, Allison Estrin called me and was like, hey, we've got three episodes for you. It's two, three, and nine or whatever. And I was like, fuck yeah, dude, that's that rules. And then just showing up and getting to learn how to do that. You were in the very first episode after the pilot. Yeah, I was in episode two with the raid at Axe Capital. And it became a thing of like, oh, this is fun. I really enjoy this. But I didn't enjoy getting here. I didn't enjoy like... Whereas stand up, you didn't mind the open. Like, in fact, you loved it. You I, loved every part of it. This is what I was. So this is what I was I love why it. stand up. Like, cause I still cause, love it. Cause when I hear that, it sounds like someone who's like, as we all are, well, the risk of failure is too sad in acting, right? I put the effort in, I tried, I didn't get over. You guys didn't, you know, they didn't cast me. Not you, we did, yeah. but I didn't get that. But you know, I did the one indie movie that one, but I didn't. And it feels to me like, if I just heard that, I would think, well, Dan's afraid of failure. No, I like it but more But you're not in my afraid face. of failure at all. I like it Because I've face. watched you fucking get up in front of seven um, Danish people yeah. and just eat it. It still happens. It still happens in full of packed rooms with people that are there to see me. I don't feel like I did the job the way I should have done it. I don't feel like I... I I got over the way I should. So what was it about stand up that made it that like check spots, you know, which we've talked about a little before. A check spot means that that's the, the least desired spot to get if you're a comedian is the check spot. Because what happens is the one time when the the spell is broken because you're there in this night, you're laughing, you feel like you're part of this thing. And then they're putting down a check and you got to as a audience member. It's like, oh, shit, this beer cost me nine bucks yeah. and this uh, hummus cost me 30. And you're focused on, oh, shit, do I ask? the guy to split it with me, do I not? And then you were like, went around to these clubs and you were like, I'll do any check set that you have. Yeah. I'll bark out front and I'll come in and I'll do any checks that you have. And those suck. It sucked and barking sucked. Why were you willing to do all that for stand-up? Because like, I, I love stand-up. I've loved stand-up so much my whole life and I still, like the frustration I have now with stand-up isn't any less that I love it and I don't think it's any bitterness towards it and I love it even more. I don't like bad comedy getting over. I don't like, when I see people that aren't real comedians and they're doing comedy to make money, to use it as an ATM, it personally offends When you me. don't feel their point, like okay, I, was, I, I talk about this sometimes as a creative person, as an artist, 
Like if there's, there's nothing wrong. If you need to eat, take any, take the job that you can do. And if you have a skill, but I found for me when I would take a job as a screenwriter, but it wasn't something that I fucking loved. I would just, or the way I say it better is if I didn't have a true point of view on something, yeah. Then all I was doing is using kind of my intellect and my like craft. Yeah. And then something fundamental would be missing. Yes. That's why Dave and me, uh, our originals are the things that always pop the most for us. Because it's you. Because it's really like the th it's our work. Yeah. It's it's who we are. Yeah. And you can not like it or like, but but it's like this is why I do this. Yeah, I think. And so it bugs you when people are just like smart, but they could have done anything. Well, and instead they chose to try this. I don't, that, that I don't even really have a problem with. I don't like when people are like, uh, okay, I was popular on this thing. I was a reality star. Yeah, and then now that's gone, I'll just do stand-up. I'll just do stand-up. Because there's an agent that's like, you know, uh, you know, you can sell a lot of tickets and make a lot of money this weekend. And they're just like, that's oh, interesting. Okay. I don't think I agree. Because if they can write it, I think if they have if they can write it. What, who says they're writing it? Um, well, I don't. I don't know. You might. I don't know who you're thinking of. Yeah, I got a couple examples. Where they don't where write their, they're not writing their jokes. That's unacceptable. To yeah. Me. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. That's more prevalent than a lot of people know. There's like, there, there are people that, and again, the older I get, the less I give a shit about these people. I think in my 20s and 30s, I had a real punk rock, like, oh, fuck it. Like, kind of like old school wrestling mentality. Yes. A little bit what Paul Heyman was talking about, like, well, we got to break your arm. If you're going to be here, we got to break your leg. Because all of us barked. All of us did open mics. All of us did this. Yes. If you're just coming in and just starting where it's good, well, I need, to, I need you to bleed for it. Yeah, man, there's nothing I like better than when Anna tells me a story about some shitty open mic she does. That's great. And it's like, I'm in an open mic with three people and this thing happened and this person. And it's like, yeah, because you're there for the right reasons. Nate Bargatze, I watched give a pound of flesh almost every weekend when I was on the road with him. Hell gigs. I was getting a couple hundred, but Nate was, I mean, Erie, Pennsylvania. Right. I can name them to you. West Virginia. I can name all the gigs. I watched Nate slug through so that now when he's in an arena and he's, he's just crisp and he's just funny and he's, he's just the best. My favorite thing with Nate back in the day was Nate would have different looks all the time. So sometimes he would have a buzzed head and glasses. Sometimes he'd just be wearing a hat and several times Bill Burr would walk in and see Nate doing a set and be like, you're hilarious, dude. And then would see him again oh, and go funny. like, Oh, you're hilarious. Didn't and know Nate would be like, I don't think he knows I'm the same guy. And you're like, I don't think he knows Nate. I don't think he knows that. That's I think, hilarious. I think, he, I think he thinks there's just a lot of guys from Tennessee murdering in New York right okay, now. Okay, so you go back to what you're saying. So these so, people, so it's not that comedy, you, you, you don't begrudge it in a certain way. I don't begrudge, like, listen, man, you're going to go get your money? Fine. Get your money. Make your money. Go away. But let's not act like we're doing the same thing. Let's not act like this is, like, let's not act like we're, we're cooking the same dishes. You're not. You're microwaving your shit and you're sending it out with a lot of flair on the walls. My, and, my shit's a recipe. My shit's like, I love stand-up. I didn't feel my stand-up was progressing the way that I wanted it to. And that was the main reason that I was like, well, I got to walk away from some stuff. I got to open some time up to go on the road. And it's, it's not going to be everything that everyone wants, but I'm going to... I'm not doing the comedy that I feel I'm capable of doing, and I, I'm not doing comedy that I... My HBO special, I was very proud of. Were, as well, you should be. So you're not... After that, I wasn't. Which, by the way, for those of you out there, I don't think I've heard you talk about this much since it happened, but the director of that special is Chris Storer. Who's great. Who wrote Does the bear. and directed The Bear. Season one my and two. My good buddy, who I, I love him. Chris Storer's unbelievable. So if, you, if you're a Chris Storer fan also, go check out yeah, he directed my special. He directed my HBO special, Son of a Gary, uh, streaming now on Max. So when you left Bonfire, you found you weren't able to workshop bits on there in the way that I didn't like it made doing sense? That. I didn't like doing that. Because Why? You know when you see a trailer for a movie and all the best parts are in the trailer? Yeah. That's how I felt like, that's what I felt like doing bits, pulling it from the bottom. I did it a couple times. 
fact, uh, there's like two jokes in my HBO special that are that were born on the bonfire of me like saying something. But um, as a fan of comedy, I like not knowing anything before I go in. I like watching the hour when Chappelle is in the city or Rock is in the city or Burr is in the city. I don't watch on purpose. I want to know that this is the chef looked at this and said, send this to the table. Not you like, don't like watching it get created. I don't want to walk in the kitchen and take a bite and go like, oh, that's pretty good. Are you going to use I that? Like, that? I mean, I like if I stumbled into a club and I saw someone workshopping and I saw Jay or Gull, I, I, you know, who um, earlier said about Nate, I think when Gary Goldman's on, he's still as Goldman's good as anybody. On, yeah, anybody yeah. Can, can be when Gary's, Goldman's you know, a, Goldman is a master. For me, he's the gold standard yeah. also. But, but an interesting, both guys, it's interesting. Nate and Gary both take the craft of this stuff so seriously but that's what i yes love i love yes. how much all the old seller guys used to take it seriously yes well, that was what the table was the whole point of the table wasn't to be mean it was a barrier for those who didn't fucking want it bad enough oh dan you know i agree with this as much as someone could agree with it i mean when yeah. i would go there and it was Havy and john stewart and ray romano I and mean, that was just on a Tuesday. Jesus. You would see in Paul Provenza and and you know you would just see everyone was a mur every single person was but a that, murderer. But the fear that that table which you know everyone yeah, was like, of course. oh they were you mean it was like they they were mean but with with purpose to be funny to make each other laugh number 1 but number 2 to be like you stink get out of here. You stink. Well that's you the thing when I hear this. Bobby K I don't know Seinfeld I don't think yeah. I've ever even met him. Yeah. And I know a bunch of you guys think he's a tool. But he, uh, just, he just doesn't give a shit about us. No, I know. But I, I, I know a bunch of you guys think yeah. he's a tool. But uh, but to me, also, part of that Bobby Kelly story where he's like, not you. It's so funny. It's the funniest story ever. Yeah. But part of what that's saying is you're not ready yet. Yeah. Well, I'll ask you. It's what you were saying earlier. It's yeah. like, well, I'm going to ask you in when I notice you. Yeah. yeah. I Which, haven't noticed you yet. Now, Bobby's just fun. Let me just say, if Seinfeld saw Bobby do what he does... Yeah. He would invite him. Yeah, there is. Because Bobby's a fucking murderer too. And I can understand that point of like, who are you to speak to me right now? You're not ready In to. The com I'm saying, I'm yes, but I'm saying it's not Jerry doing that because he's important Jerry Seinfeld. I'm yeah. saying it's like, when I hear that story, the other way I view it from someone who's 22 and hanging around the cellar is it's not that he's the billionaire Jerry Seinfeld. It's, well, with the comedian thing. Yeah. I'm going to spend time with the guys who make me laugh. And I, I, that happened to me with Patrice. I was at Stand Up New York, like doing check spots. And in between the eight o'clock and 10 o'clock show, for some reason, the full room was cleared out. And Patrice was like looking through a New York post. And then he just asked me, he was like, what's your top 10 porn stars? And so I started naming porn stars and he was like laughing. We were like talking, just regular, like two guys waiting for their cars to be detailed. Yes. And um, I was like, oh, I'm friends with Patrice. And so the next time I came to stand up in New York, I saw Patrice. I was like, hey, Patrice, like that. And he just went, ugh, what? And then just walked by uh -huh. me. And I was like, oh, right, 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 right. You were being polite. And I but took that That's as, why the Bill Burr story is so great with the hockey thing, because he did welcome you. He was like. Yeah. He's like, yeah, sit down. Right. And yeah, you were welcomed in. Yeah. I mean, it is. Um, I think for me, I've always, the thing that's driven me is approval. But I think the older I get, the more I fine tune it and kind of customize it to like, Okay, well, what is the approval I'm actually looking for? And a lot of now that I'm, I mean, I'm 40 in two weeks, and what I'm noticing is that a lot of it's self-approval. A lot of it's like I had this question to ask you, which was, what do you have to prove to yourself yeah, now? That's I think, the, yeah, what do you? I think now what what I find interesting about it is like, um, you know, Jay said something not to me, but to one of our friends when we started the radio show where they were like, what do you think is Soder's stand-up? And Jay, who can break down comedy, especially stand-up, better than anyone I've ever met in my life, like like truly do like a Gruden's tapes on it, the way John Gruden used yeah, to do Yeah, yeah, Gruden, tapes. of course. Jay could do that with stand-up. He, he's brilliant in the way he breaks it down. And he told a friend, he didn't think it was going to get back to me, but he just went like, oh, Soder's funny, but once he's able to do on stage what he does off stage, he'll be on a different level. And it wasn't an insult. because my friend told it to me like it was. My friend was like, he said like, you know, once you can do on stage with you off. He said it through like through like those grit teeth, and I was like this. Oh no no no, that's that's right. That's perfect. He's 
that's that's perfect. And I said that to Jay. He said the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me in comedy. Um, about three months before I left, I Jay and the crew knew I was leaving for a right. year. This that wasn't a surprise. I told Jay May of last year. I, I told him, hey, in March next season, next year when our contracts run up, I'm done. And he's like, are you sure? He's like, we have time. You can decide. Yeah, I mean, you told him. I knew. Yeah. I knew I think, a long time yeah, ago yeah. you were thinking about it. I, I, you know, I think like a couple people that I was, when I figured it out, the well, people were that were close to me. you were talking about it for a long, in your head for a long time. Yeah, I was, trying to, I was trying to figure. And I told Jay, you know, I said like, I don't think my stand-up is where I want it to be. I don't even think mm. it's kind of close. I think I'm like. Sometimes I'm there. Like the hour special was there. It's great. The, yeah. the HBO special was there. But when I put something like that out, it's like, well, now the only option for me is to put out something twice as good as that was. Because that's all I want to do is if you watch that, it's five years. The special is great because you do the thing that is the most important thing, I think, which is it's super funny, but it's you. Yeah. It is you. Someone watching that does know you. Yeah. It's a version of you. It's the public profile. But it... It is you. It was very personal. It was it's, very we're like, connect. The audience does get an understanding of you. Yeah, you, you're gonna know who I am. And that's at. the version. You know, that's the thing. Someone will get off stage talking to you. So, but go ahead. But I told Jay we we're outside smoking one day, and I was just like, you know, I um, I just don't think I'm there where I want to be. You know, and Jay didn't lie to me. Didn't pat my ass. Didn't do anything. You know, he's just smoking a cigarette. And he goes, Well, the cool thing about you is you don't really have a ceiling. So you can just keep right. getting better and better. And I was like, Aww. that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. And he's like, oh, well, I mean it. Like, he's like, I've been funny with you for eight years on this show. I know how funny you are. Yes. He's like, you could, just, you could just keep going up in your stand-up. And I was like, oh, man. And people like Jay, people like Nate, yep. people like Shane Gillis, my good, good friends, the Vecchione, the mm -hmm. people that I call to like talk to, all kind of agreed. Not Jay as much as the other guys, like Nate and Shane and Vecchione. And you, when I talk to you, like, I think I'm going to step away from the radio show so I can just go full stand up. Like, I just want to go do full stand up. Doesn't mean I'm not going to start a podcast. Doesn't mean I'm not going to do that. Of course. But it just means like, for six to eight months, I'm going to just live on the road. There's also something else about not, it's great that you were part of a team. I loved it. I had a very different childhood than you. I had two parents who were together. I felt safe. I love being part of a team. I don't mind that my, a lot of my, but I've also always had other projects as Dave does. Yeah. With books. You need to be you. Yeah. And Up I there alone with a microphone. And to kind of tie everything that we've been talking about together, it was I was always kind of like um, curious and drawn to guys that w you've been you, you haven't changed. As far as like, you're not different because you made billions. You're not, You're. this is the same Brian that I would go, this is the same Brian that kicked his feet up on the desk after I did Montreal in 2011 and you went, well, only thing in your way is you're drinking. And you said it to me not in a way of like, Hey, you got a fucking problem in a way of like, well, you know, the drinking probably will fuck your career up. And, and you said it in a way that wasn't like, uh, you, you embarrass yourself. You do this. You're like, you're going to embarrass. You might embarrass yourself or you also might be hung over and miss something, or you might not be able to, you might be hung over and not be on your fucking best. And it's like, you know, I hit 10 years of quitting drinking in March and it was like, oh yeah, it's, it's ex when I quit my career, just I started doing stuff because I was aware, because I was able to be myself. And so I think I've always been drawn to people that are themselves. Yeah, that are them comfortable because, in their skin. Yeah, because I've never been. Right. And so yeah. I want that because I wasn't comfortable at home. I'd go visit my dad. I wasn't. comfortable You're much there. more that now, though. I think I think Katie's really helped that. I think I've really helped that. I think I've really. I think what I've done is just really realized that like, well, I'm never going to be this idealized version of myself, which I think I was trying to be up yeah. until the pandemic, clear up until the pandemic. I think I was trying to be this like, got to push it more, got to push it one more. And then now since then, I've kind of just been like, oh man, this is pretty fucking awesome. Well, I remember talking to you about the choice to go do Rogan and I was standing on the street with you and I was like, are you know, and just the way you talked about going to do Rogan. Yeah. Not to please it. It was just like, I've. you were like, I've thought about it. Yeah. I know how I want to do it. Yeah. 
I am going to go do that. And it was like, not to please anybody else. No. You were like, I want to go do that. And I know I'm going to go do it. Yeah. And it's the same thing when you decide, you know, whose comedy you're going to support and who you're going to whatever. It's like, you uh, know, I, I, um, Back when the HBO special was coming out, it was right at the time that Shane got fired from SNL. Right. And Shane is, however good of a comedian, which I think he's top three. I think him and Nate are two of the best ring comedians. They also happen to be two of my best friends. I think Shane is a better friend. He's a friend in a way that, like, I don't want to blow up his spot, you know, but uh, he's a friend in a way of, like... Um, there's been some phone calls where I've been in some dark places and I've yes. called him and he's been there to be like, not to, to bullshit me, just to be like, yeah, man, you know, I'm here. Nate too. Nate's a guy, Nate's a guy that I can tell you from the bottom of my heart is the same guy when we were driving to Erie, Pennsylvania, as he is selling more tickets than Taylor Swift. But you're saying Shane is a, a saw, just go back to it. He's the best. And obviously, so right. He's and you were best. like not going to abandon that guy. because Well, got, he was my buddy. He's still my buddy. No matter what, he's my buddy. You know? The thing of it is, and it's about Shane and, and your decision in that process, which is, I think if you had a weakness as a younger man, it was this wanting to be a people pleaser. Oh, it still is. But... It still is. Right. But knowing your core and so people pleasing kept you on the bonfire a year longer than maybe it would Probably, have wanted yeah, to yeah. various choices that you've made For but sure. it gets you in trouble when you're people pleasing because at a certain point people are like oh that guy was phony to me yeah you're like no i yeah i was not i was trying really yeah. hard n n to to be good yeah yes uh, yeah and, God damn. and, and yeah. that's the trouble with that's why people pleasing is a um, it's a it's dangerous not a winning drug. game. You can't win at it in it's, the end. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of when I was in high school and ecstasy came out. Yeah. And everyone kept doing ecstasy and they're like, oh, well, it makes you feel the best and all you want to do is fucking touch everything. And I was like, oh, then why wouldn't you want to do that? Because it makes everyone feel better. And then a couple of years later, it's like, it also causes holes in your brain. Well, that's and the you're problem. Like, the, holes, oh. the holes in your brain. And that's what people pleasing is. It's, it's ecstasy. It's people pleasing is... Everybody's happy. Everybody yeah, feels good. Yeah, except the problem is it drills a hole in your Except skull. your serotonin and, level's fucking right. gone. Right, and so for me, the big growth for you, I guess, about all this, about money, about, about every part of this is like you learning more and more that it's okay to just be who you are and want what you want. And not only that, but be comfortable with the anxiety and the fear that yes. that brings with it because... We've done four of these episodes. This is the most scared I've been since the first episode. More, I'm more anxious now about my career, right, now than I was on that first episode when we were talking about guy code, when we were talking about whatever you want. When we were talking well, we about We were still that. basically a waiter. Yeah, I am more anxious now. Why? Because... I'm comfortable with my core. And so now it's time to put up. Now it's time to put up or shut up. Now it's like. Because now you got to get. I've made the moves. I've left the family. Yes. I've quote unquote garied all those campers. You moved to Vegas. You moved the family to Vegas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now you got to consolidate the family. You moved the families yeah, to, to Vegas. Yeah. yeah. Now, it's, now it's on. And, and what's crazy is the relief of the pressure is being myself. So what relieves the pressure is yeah. being myself and enjoying what I get to do because I'm not a waiter, because I'm not driving a, a van for Amazon, which I could be. And I, you're not auditioning because you don't want to, like you're, I, I, you're being. I'm in a lucky spot financially where right. I've, I've, I've held on to my it. money. You yeah, earned it. I've also held on to that. I lived below a train way longer than I should have. Yes. But I, I've set myself up for this moment. So I've never felt more anxiety in my life than this moment because it's like, I want to be the comedian that Jay was talking about. I, cause I know it's true and I know I'm close. And to tell yourself that you want to, because if you do become that, which you will, you are, it'll be you in those arenas, you know, but it, it, it doesn't, doesn't have to be, but it, I understand and it that might not be, it might not be. And that's that's also a big part of it. If this this could 
still, this could go, bloop, you know, this could, I could be in clubs, I could be in half-sold clubs, you know, I know this is coming out, not this week, but if, if you were at that Richmond, Virginia's shows, you know, you probably saw a half-empty club, maybe a third full, but where I'm at, luck, like luckily where I'm at right now is, oh, I get to, I don't have to put out a special. I don't have to yes. do anything. I mean, you should technically, you should do a podcast so that you at least can sell your gigs. I will tell There's you There's nothing this, wrong with that. There will be a podcast before the end of the year. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And that I think, will help. But also, podcasts in my world are now the best excuse to see the people I love the most. I, that's fully true. <laughs> No, that's why I was listening to you with Bobby and I was like, uh, oh, I got to do this because I want to showcase the growth, uh, but, but I just want to get to spend yeah, fucking hour and a half cover, talking uh, to Dan. Exactly. I just want to do a podcast because like, I just want to hang out with Jay again. I just want to hang out with Shane. I want to hang out with you. Oh, I want to hang out with me. I can't wait to be a guest on, oh, yeah. on your pod. And, and I, I think the, the idea that I'm futzing around with is it won't be longer than 45 minutes and I, I kind of want it to be just about one thing. And we'll just talk about one thing. I love it. And then it'll. And then that way, it it can't. I love it. Yeah. No, you don't so want to do the coming, three hours. It's coming. You know, I'm gonna. I'm. It's been three months since I left the bonfire. I got to do. Ro I got a huge road push coming up through September or Go October. Go see Dan Soder. Go see him. DanSoder.com. Don't let these clubs be half full. Oh, dude. It's. But here's the thing that I love is. Also, there's no way a Saturday night's half full. You're talking about the Thursday or the early no, show no, I'm Friday. talking about. I'm talking about. I mean, I've never worked Richmond before, and and brother, when you work a when are you going tomorrow and Saturday? Uh, I can't get this up in time for that. I, no, it's fine. It's listen. This is part of it. Uh, the last thing, because I got to fucking go. Yeah. The last thing. Is I mean you've talked to guests at the bonfire, but I am so fascinated about your friendship with Mike McDaniel. Oh my guy, he's. Do you talk to two of you talk about all this shit together? When, because occasionally, when we get together and we eat, Mike McDaniel's a coach of the Dolphins. They were best friends growing up. Yeah, seventh and eighth grade, he was my best friend. I spent the every night at his. I hated my mom's boyfriend. I hated. And Joe. what happened in high school? He honestly. And I think he would tell you this. Freshman year, he started hanging out with like older, cooler kids, football players. Uh, we all we both played football. Yes. Uh, but he, Mike started getting so, around sophomore year. Mike started getting like there was a group of guys that were getting a lot of girls and were cool. And I was hanging out with like kind of the sillier. And how did you become besties again? When did it happen that you uh, reconnected? We just stayed friends. We were always friends. We stayed friends through high school. We'd hang out. You know, I'd go to his house. He'd go to my house. We were fucking tight in seventh and eighth grade. He was my, literally my best friend. And high school, we were close. And then college, you know, we stayed in touch. And then, um, you know, he started coaching the NFL. I would go to his games just to say what's up. And then when he quit drinking, ah. uh, I had been, I had quit uh, like three years before. It, it just was like, I was like, oh, this is the Mike. I said this to his wife. I go, oh, that's the Mike. That's the Michael from middle school. And she goes, oh, yeah, he's back to being like weird and silly. You and guys like, must look at each other and just can't believe that. This well, is we were bullied. You. We were the two guys in the group of our friends in eighth grade that were bullied. We were the we were the, the two losers. Uh, I was well, the big goofy loser and he was like smaller and nerdy and had braces. That's turned all the way around. Although sadly for him, he has to be the loser at the last game. No, nope. if you're a coach, it's the worst. Oh, um, well, here's the thing about Mike is if you're a head coach, it sucks because so the passion I have for stand up, it, uh, he has for football and it's always been that way since we've been in seventh grade. The rule we had growing up when yeah. I spent the night at his house is we'd stay up late to watch SNL because I wanted to watch SNL. And then we wake up early to watch NFL primetime at 8 a.m. So we were in bed by 1.30, up at 8 a.m. He had a TV in his room, which I thought was so bad. You guys were the biggest nerds. Oh, my God. And we I just, would have, yeah, that's, that sounds like heaven to me, but also. It was awesome. It was God awesome. Damn. And then him. I understand why he left you for the, the chance cool to kids. get laid. Yeah. I, I mean, mean he, that was not, you I guys, was, that was not. And by the way, I wasn't getting laid in high school. But McDaniel was doing all right. He had a girlfriend. He had a hot girlfriend that was cool. But I'm just saying, and no, I was you were fucking... not spin the bottle. No one was looking for you guys no. in seventh grade. When... No, no. Seventh and eighth grade. No, we were all the way. By the way, we hung out with like the bad girls and we were mortifying. We loved our mommies. We wanted to go home and do chores. Mommies, SNL and NFL game day. And NFL primetime. Primetime. He best. would read the media guides. He would read the, read the media guides of every NFL team. He knew everybody. See, this is what... 
that's why you guys are connected. I've always thought that because of the obsession. You're both He's obsessed. obsessed. So by the way, he also loves comedy. So now he'll, because of me, the way I love football, he'll call me about comedy and he'll be like, you know this guy? I'm like, know that guy. I fucking blah, 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 blah. Oh, and he'll be best. like, oh shit. And I'll call him and be like, who are you? Like when the Niners, I yes. mean, fuck dude, I'm a 49ers yeah, fan, I know. even though I'm from Denver. He was the third pick in the NFL draft. It's Gary, 49ers. Yeah, Gary. my father is from the Bay Area. So it was, it was Niners, Giants. Nuggets are the only right, team I picked. Uh, we got to go and end this. Nuggets are the only I, I team I picked. Dan Soto, go ahead, say it. The soon to be an NBA world champions. Come on, Nuggets. Come on. Do it, please, for the city of Denver. I mean, he. it's absurd that he didn't. The fact, You're going to win because they robbed him of the MVP. Oh, by he the way. He had the three bad games at the end of the season. Here's how we look at it. He already got two in a row. Have the MVP. If we get a chip, You're gonna get I don't chip. give a flying fuck. Give it for Jamal Murray. Get it for fucking Jokic, obviously. But get it for Denver. We haven't won a championship since the ABA. We've never been to the finals Dan before. Dan Issel can finally get a good fake team. I love Dan Wouldn't it be great if he could get a good fake, really yeah. perfect fake team? He was the coach when I started loving them. I love Dan Issel, too, for some reason. All right, everybody, Dan Soder, go see him do stand-up comedy. DanSoder.com. Dan, I love you. I love you, dude. Bye, Thanks buddies. for having me.